Retro Hangover is supported via Patreon by listeners like you. We would especially like to thank patrons Lyle McCarns and Ashton Ruby. Your continued engagement and generous donations are deeply appreciated. Open your ears and crack some beers. You are listening to episode 68 of Retro Hangover. and classic gamers, welcome to the podcast where we are ministers and missionaries for the monastery of the Master of Mew, who mysteriously maim menacing mighty monsters for the meowing messiah, Meow. This is episode 68 of the Retro Hangover Podcast. I'm your co-host, Chris Copeline, joined by special guest Paul Romalo of the Region Free Gamers Podcast, and as always, your host, Shane Dreamy Dick Dragon Dark Falls Koski! You know, you're going to reach a point of diminishing returns with these where you, you're you just not going to be able to scream for that long. Or mm. you're going to go in the other direction and you'll just turn into a football announcer. Dude, that's exactly two. what I was thinking of. I'm like, this guy is a Latin <laughs> football announcer, like... Easily, easily. That's that should be your day job. I, I, yeah, I think that's your. I think that's your calling, Chris. Like you know, I do want to career choice. I do want to do that when I get out. That's my dream is to get out and announce fights for uh, minor league professional wrestling, especially like little people wrestling, and that way I can really broaden my horizons and <laughs> make myself feel <laughs> special. <laughs> Why that specifically? Have you ever seen little people wrestling, Shane? <laughs> I, you know, I have to admit that I have not, but now I feel like I've been missing out on something I'm, important. I, I'll be honest with you. I haven't either, but I re- would really like to. And I think if I it's get my foot in the door that hilarious. way. It's pretty hilarious. Yes. That, <laughs> yeah. I could get my foot in the door that way and have that announcer voice and just be stunned. And I would broaden my horizons, like I said, and be a better person for it. Well, and okay. one would expect that it's half as much work. Yes. Hey. Hey. <laughs> Note to self, insert rim shot at this point in episode. All right. In the meantime, <laughs> as as we are being canceled by Twitter currently, would everybody like to introduce themselves uh, properly? So hi, uh, everyone. Welcome no, to the Retro Hangover you, Podcast, you Shane. Did that. I guess we did. Um, welcome yeah. back to the show, Paul. It's nice to have you back. Hey, thanks, man. I'm super happy to be here. Yeah, we, we've been we've been stoked uh, to, to do this one with you because I think... I, in a way, like I think your enthusiasm for for this episode's topic has somehow like rubbed off all all the way across from the great Yukon um, down to what I like to call Satan's asshole, uh, <laughs> also known as Florida. So um, so yeah, I'm I'm super psyched for this one. I think it's going to be good. I know for reference, yeah, me too. For reference, Florida doesn't look like an asshole. It looks like something else. And I, I think in the, the heat that we're having, it could be efficiently equated to it. So um, 
especially like sure. the taint region, you know, when you got that swamp ass. And it's I'd just, say it's just the general area. Yeah. Like just for Munda. Sure. Yeah. Florida just really needs a great like, uh, you know, talcum powder mm-hmm. coating or something. I think mm-hmm. that would do everybody <laughs> some good. Like snow. Yeah. Yeah, sure. Snow would be great. Not? Actually, yes, that'd be fucking <laughs> yeah. amazing right now. Actually, I would say you know, like uh, we were talking before recording about how how much Paul is loving it up on the Yukon territory right now. But I would trade anything to go up to the Yukon territory, being where I am at current date of recording, for a multitude of reasons. Uh, one of which being the weather, but there are definitely other reasons. But I'm sure I don't know why Paul. I, why do you hate it up there right now, Paul? Well, it's it's the weather, which is ridiculous because we're all complaining about different kinds of weather. We've just had kind of a cold summer, which and I mean, like, look, I moved up here willingly. This was kind of part of the package. But this summer in particular has been pretty bad. That said, like the grass is always greener, right? Like, I'm sure that if I was in Florida right now, Mm -hmm. I'd be losing my mind with the heat and being like, Mm -hmm. get me out of here. Get me up to the Arctic and the death. So. Yes, yes, of course. Oh, yeah, we're number one. Don't forget. We're number, no, we're number four (laughs) when compared to every other developed country in the world or just country in general. Yeah. We're just, we're number four. Okay. Yes. Excuse me. That you're, you're technically correct, which is the best kind of correct. Yes. That a state within the country of America has, is fourth on the list behind actual countries. But yes, you're right. We're, we're, oh, man. we're working our way up. There, you know, there's always room for growth. That's you can't true. let Brazil get away with this. No. <laughs> they have the master system. We have to beat them. Yeah. They still play the yeah. master system. We have to overcome them. That is true. That That's a good point. And by the way, all the Brazilians listening to this and follow me on Instagram, I love you. You're amazing. <laughs> <laughs> we're just real jealous. That's all. Yes. In any case... Um, this episode, we are covering Fantasy Star. I know we've, we've taken longer to get to that as we have in recent episodes. So once again, a uh, disclaimer for spoilers. We'll be spoiling shit out of this game. Have you played it? This game is three years old. But I do understand people are younger than this game out there and you probably haven't played it. So spoilers. But before we get to that, as we are wont to do, because we never said that last episode and I gave Shane plenty of opportunity to do Son that. of a bitch. Um, but so I'm taking it now because I know he won't do it later. Uh, let's talk about what we're playing lately. So... I will give it over to our guest of honor today, Paul. Please tell us what you are playing on the video games. On the video games? Oh, how on theme. Uh, I think <laughs> the most <laughs> the most relevant thing probably... Have you guys ever played Jeanne d'Arc on the PSP? Um, no, but I've heard of it. I've heard it's very good. It's pretty good. I actually finished it about a week ago. And it's... Man, it's such a weird game. Mm. It's this game that like... You know, for the first 10, 20 hours, it's just kind of like barely doing enough to keep me going. I'm like, man, I think I'm going to drop this. Man, I think I'm going to drop this. But I just kind of keep going a little bit. And it only takes about 40 hours. And then around the 20 hour mark, that's kind of like the turning point. Things start coming together like a typical kind of strategy RPG. And uh, yeah, it's it's good. It's bizarre. It's bizarre. It has like these historical references that are grounded in actual reality with Jeanne d'Arc and some other people that she's friends with and so on. But then also the Prince of England is possessed by a demon and there are elves and beast people <laughs> so that we can cater to the furries, right? Of course. I mean, so yeah. it's, yeah, I mean, you have to. 
so yeah, it's it's a it's a weird game, strangely enjoyable. I'm I'm glad I went through it. It's not, you know, it's no Final Fantasy Tactics, but nothing is. So True. for what it is, it's pretty good. It sounds like they combined historical reality with Final Fantasy Tactics Advanced. Kind of, yeah. Yeah, and it's very Japanese. Like honestly, only the Japanese could get away with making a game like this cuz they're so like naive and childlike when it comes to, you know, western culture. So the fact that they could take the English and turn them into these really, really evil people in this game. <laughs> and just, like you know, that's, that's just how it is. a far stretch historically, but mm-hmm. sure. Yeah, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's this little colonialism thing. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. Also, it took me like an unacceptable amount of time to realize that you were saying Jean Dark and not like John Dark. I thought it was like, oh, man, you're talking about some like edgelord, like mid aughts, <laughs> like third person shooter or something. And I'm like, what is he? Oh, yeah. right. The the French I know. lady. OK. Yes. Well, there's just a million different directions you can go with this name, right? Like you can go Gene Dark. It's, it's crazy. <laughs> Joanna Dark. That's right. Oh, <laughs> hey. Wow. Uh-huh. Tied that one right around. All right. Sequel cool. to sequel to Perfect Dark confirmed. Rare Rare made this game. There. Now you know. It's just their it's their weeb pseudonym. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> the pen name, yeah. Now that for some reason that just reminds me of the fact that StarCraft Ghost never materialized and now I'm sad again. So thank you for that. Wow, man. I can't believe you're still hurting over that. That's that's it's dedication. A, it's yeah. a deep pain. Uh-huh. <laughs> I remember when I broke my Lego castle, too. Uh, speaking of Legos, because why not? I have another tangent because um, we have time for that. Did, did, did y'all see the the unveiling of the NES Lego set? Yeah, I'm hyped. I'm going to yeah. I'm going to get that for my quote kids. Right. Yeah, no, definitely. That's a good cover. I, I can't handle it, man. I can't handle it. It's we're I think we're starting to kind of reach this tipping point of like stuff overload. There's just mm-hmm. there's too much stuff and I can't I can't have it all. And I'm reaching the point now where I don't want it all either. You just got to get to a point where you just like, you know what? I just love getting stuffed. <laughs> Yeah, I feel bad. I don't want to I don't want to poop on the Lego NES because I'm sure there are people who are very interested and excited about it. I and I kind of want to be because I like Lego. I like Nintendo, but I'm just not there. No, I'm, I'm kind of with you. Like I, I saw the reveal trailer or whatever. And of course, my initial reaction was that is cool as hell. And then after I, the trailer was over, I was just like, but also why? And that's kind of where I left it. Like it'd be cool, but like I don't, I don't need another thing taking up space on the shelves I don't have. And I yeah. know Chris, like this, this. I mean, Chris is our physical game collector, so like this, this is kind of probably right up his alley, anyway. Well, you ask why, I can tell you why. It's the Mr. Krabs meme. It's money. Wait, what? Money. You've never seen that meme. I mean, I, I am aware of Mr. Krabs yeah. and his affinity for money. So they do something that's like, there's this meme that says, why'd you do this thing that completely makes no sense? And Mr. Krabs says, money. And they're like, oh, okay. That's, that's ah, how they did it. Yeah. Yeah. No, that, yeah, that's true. But anyway, I, 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 I derailed us enough with NES nostalgia baiting. Anyway, <laughs> uh, so, uh, so, so Chris, mm. what, uh, what have you been up to lately? Well, the good thing is, is that I beat my run of the Final Fantasy V for Job Fiesta. I'm one of three right now. In fact, I'm still waiting. And hopefully by the time this episode <laughs> debuts, 
I won't be the only one. But who knows? At the rate that you and Lyle are going, I probably still will be. So uh, hopefully, I Lyle just unlocked my fourth job. Congratulations, Lyle! Don't let me down. <laughs> so you have at least twelve hours to go. Don't worry about it. Yeah. You'll you'll get it done sometime before September, I'm sure. Uh, so I, I I finished that game and I started playing a game called uh, Romancing Saga Minstrel Song, which I said I was going to start playing last episode. Yes, and uh, it's a weird looking game. Everyone looks like little people. I think that's why I want to start announcing wrestling. Uh, they have uh, they're like super deformed in a in a three D environment. It's very much like the Final Fantasy Nine caricatures that they had designed, and that's just mm-hmm. it's it's kind of a turnoff. But of course the 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 art style is is very still watercolor, so it's very weird. It's a little off. That sounds like a really odd mix. Yeah. Um, it never it never quite looks as good as they want it to, I think, where you have like the just like just extra large head, but still kind of realistically proportioned body. Eh. Yeah, it, it looks really weird. <laughs> and keep in mind, this is a I'm, by the way, I, I want to I'm going to save that sound clip and we'll just use that as the rapid fire <laughs> review for it. When Chris does it, Chris, will be like, yeah. Hey, all right, patrons, this is my rapid fire review. And then a clip of Paul just going, eh, <laughs> that's it. That's the whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it, it's a PlayStation 2 game, too. So it's I don't know when it came out in the PlayStation 2's life. But in any case, another problem I've noticed with it is doing some research into it. One of the thing about the Saga series is that they have their weird little rules about all of the games and how they how they operate. And one of the great things about it is the battle system, because when you go into a battle, you can learn a skill at any opportunity. You don't level up in the traditional way because the series is essentially an offshoot from Final Fantasy 2. It's a little bit more refined, so it's not as bad as Final Fantasy 2. But the game, in order to beat the entire game in a single playthrough, because you have eight different characters you can select from and you have to go on their own quest. But the only way to do it is that during a character's introduction, you're not supposed to fight battles. But the entire draw of the game is to fight battles because the battle system is its strong point. And okay. that's how does that how does that make any sense? It doesn't. Hey, there we go. <laughs> Great. That's but that's Saga. That's that like nothing about Saga makes sense. And I absolutely adore the series. And it's just absolutely batshit weird. Um, and it takes I couldn't agree more. What's the, I, I really couldn't agree more. There's nothing there's nothing else like it. It's it's purposely obtuse. It's supposed to kind of frustrate you. And I kind of find that gall charming. You yeah. know what I mean? Like I just kind of want to <laughs> the audacity of it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, there's I kind of want to figure out what's going on and, you know, figure out how to because with every other game, you can kind of figure out how to sort of solve it and break it even. And with Saga, it takes a little bit longer to do that. And sometimes weird shit happens. And frankly, there's just nothing else like it. Mm -hmm. They just take your character, they throw you into the world, and they say, okay, go. You're like, what do I do? They're like, yes. (laughs) (laughs) Great. So it sounds like Saga is is to Chris as Kingdom Hearts is to me then. Uh, It's like weird. It's like batshit crazy. It doesn't make any sense, but for some reason, I still love it. I wouldn't call it batshit crazy. It's just it's as Paul said, it's very obtuse. They it's mm. it, it was way ahead of its time when it came out because it was completely nonlinear. When people expected games to be linear, so they're like, "Yeah, I'm I'm expecting to do something. I'm going to make plot progression. What do I do?" And Saga says, "Yes," <laughs> and you're like, "What do you mean, yes? Like whatever you want to do, just do it." 
Like, can uh, I go here? Were, yeah, probably. Were Ubisoft before Ubisoft was Ubisoft. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. But <laughs> so that's what I'm doing. Um, kind of, and I'm trying to meander my way through college last course. So, of course, as I've said previous episodes, flexible anxiety and trying to get through this, and it'll end in August, and then I'll be probably happier because I don't have to pay attention to politics anymore, and that sucks. But in the meantime, that's what it is. Um, but yeah, that's me. Shane, how about yourself? Uh, yeah, so um, not a lot different from the last episode, although, uh, <laughs> see, okay, and you're going to hate this because I, I realistically, I should be spending my time trying to finish FF5 for the four job fiesta. Shane, Shane, but, um, shh, shh. you don't have to apologize yeah. to me. Just take this time no, no. and apologize no, to Lyle. Uh-huh. You're letting him okay. down. You're letting him down, man. All right. Well, I'm sorry, patron Lyle, because my my attention gets pulled in other directions. And like, OK, so as of the day of this recording, the yesterday, the previous day, I just randomly on, I was watching YouTube videos and I came across someone saying like, is Vindictus still like good to play in the year of our Lord 2020? And I was like, is it? And so I went and watched that video and they were like, yeah it's still a lot of fun. And I was like, hot damn. So I went and installed the Nexon launcher and started playing another character on Invindictus again, which uh, for folks who are not aware of what that is, it's it's basically like a free-to-play, like instance-based uh, MMO from about 2010. And it's still going fairly strong now. Um, and the the big selling point of it really is the is the combat system it's it for what it's worth it has a really really great uh action combat system for an MMO like it's it's super fluid it feels very like devil may cry ish in a way and i played it on and off over the last several years and um so i just decided to install that again because that's probably a good use of my gaming time when i've got other things i should be finishing mm. so uh that's the latest with me. <laughs> I have never heard of Vindictus. Like, what Neither kind of game I. is this? Yeah, like I said, it's it's a um, it's an MMORPG, but it's more like uh, it's more instance based rather than just like a giant seamless open world. So there's like one gotcha. town, and then you go do missions in uh, group instances, basically. Um, but they've streamlined the game a lot over the last several years. And so you can actually solo pretty much everything up to the level cap, which is great for me because I don't know anybody else that plays this game. So it's something I can just jump into and do like an instance or two and feel like I've accomplished something. Um, yeah, yeah. And you don't want to don't want to play with strangers. You never know what you're getting. That's true. That's true. Yeah. Um, if if uh, <laughs> if the looking for group tool in WoW has taught me anything is that other gamers are the worst. So. <laughs> um but remember yeah that's that's been that's been me lately if strangers have candy you can you can grind your way up a lot um yes (laughs) i don't even know what that's in reference to talking about what are we talking about uh mmos rpgs that's right mmorpgs yes see Uh (laughs) uh-huh yep i i still don't know where you're going with that but you know what i'm talking about grinding with strangers shane you said you don't like to play with them because you don't know what you're going to get uh-huh. Sometimes you got to. Okay. <laughs> this is a good joke, Chris. <laughs> I'm glad we included this. <laughs> uh, well, at any rate, um, I suppose we should probably get on with it and start talking about the thing that we're here to talk about. Because I know that 
between the three of us, we've got a lot of ground to cover here. So, mm-hmm. um, space so Chris, to cover. Yeah. Space. Yes, there indeed. we go. Hey. Yeah. So Chris, why don't you, uh, why don't you go ahead and take us away with, uh, a brief history of fantasy star. Nowadays, when you think of a Japanese RPG or JRPG, most folks tend to envision Final Fantasy or Dragon Quest. You would also be forgiven if you thought that one of these two historic franchises was the first game in the genre to come to North America. That distinguished distinction belongs to a title that didn't even appear on a mainstream console in the region. That game was Fantasy Star, an oft-forgotten series that has a legacy of fantastic games of its own, as well as perhaps the best JRPG of its era. In 1986, Enix rocked Japan with Dragon Quest, a title that took some of the most identifiable and premier personalities in Japanese art and culture to create a role-playing game that took inspiration from Dungeons & Dragons, Wizardry, and Ultima. The RPG had now become the genre to emulate, and Sega needed to craft a response. After release of Dragon Quest II, Sega tasked Kotaro Hayashida for his work with Alex Kidd in Miracle World and Yuji Naka, due to his work with conversions of OutRun and Space Harrier, to create a game for their Mark III, or Master System as we know it, as there is no expectation of a third party filling that niche. Women would fill key roles in development as well, which was rare at the time, which included the talents of Rieko Kodama, a future director and producer of some of Sega's best RPGs, and Chieko Aoki, who wrote the story and script. From the very start, the team wanted to make a game that deviated from the perceived norm. Instead of a high fantasy setting, the team would draw inspiration from science fiction, primarily Star Wars. The space opera's influence could be seen all over the game, from interplanetary travel, to each planet's biodiversity, to even some character designs. The team incorporated aspects of George Lucas's opus that they believed intersected with Japanese culture. This included clothing resembling judo uniforms and lightsabers being used similarly to katanas. Probably the most noticeable difference from his contemporaries are the 3D dungeons and animated enemy encounters. The three-dimensional labyrinths, heavenly inspired by wizardry, became a heavy focus for the team as the Famicom was not capable of handling such effects. And while the animations for enemies were admittedly limited and do not sound like a big deal today, they did set Fantasy Star apart from his contemporaries where enemies would often be static and simply flash to indicate they had performed an action. Another key difference was the game's main protagonist, more specifically, the fact that she was female. Alice, the heroine of the story, broke apart from almost any other game at the time, as she was overtly displayed as the player character. Even Metroid, which also featured a female protagonist around the same time, hid the fact that Samus was a woman unless the player completed the game within certain limitations. On December 20th, 1987, Sega would release Fantasy Star on the Mark III in Japan with a humongous 4 megabit cart, two days after Final Fantasy. North America and Europe would both see a release in November of 1988, but would also predate any JRPG in North America by almost a year, as Dragon Quest would not see a release in the region until August of 1989. Brazil would see their copy in 1991. The game did garner critical acclaim, as most games featured on this podcast do, but did not sell terribly well. Despite being a stellar showcase of the Master System's capabilities, many publications, who rated the game highly, typically did not recommend the game for purchase due to its higher price, an unfortunate result of its 4 megabit size and battery backup save. Despite the lukewarm commercial success, 
The game would spawn multiple sequels and an MMO, in addition to receiving several re-releases and remakes on the Mega Drive, Saturn, PlayStation 2, and Nintendo Switch, as well as being included in compilation releases on the Xbox 360, PlayStation 3, and Game Boy Advance. What is most astonishing about Fantasy Star, though, is the legacy the game created for many members of the team. Rieko Kodama would go on to direct or produce Fantasy Star 4, Magic Knight Ray Earth for the Sega Saturn, and Skies of Arcadia. Yuji Naka would go on to solidify his place in gaming history by creating the Sonic the Hedgehog series and establishing the famous, or perhaps infamous, Sonic Team, where Fantasy Star's character designer, Naoto Oshima, would design the blue blur himself. Despite the game being somewhat relegated to a predominantly cult following, Fantasy Star's legacy is nevertheless an important chapter in video games' ongoing story. Had it had a larger platform in the mid-80s, there's no telling where the series would be today when taking into consideration the success of its contemporaries. And that is your brief history of Fantasy Star. All right. Thank you, Chris, for the brief history. Um, that was one of the more in-depth ones that we've done recently and probably with good reason. Um, so I don't know. I'm going to put this out to the two of you. How would you like to start this discussion? Now, of course, we, we like to talk about our personal experiences, but I think more specifically, um, who would like to go first? I think it would be appropriate if me and you went first, Shane, and we left the left Paul to the last of it, because I think he's going to go right into he's going to go into the weeds and nuts and bolts. I think that sounds like sure. an excellent idea. Um, so you know what, why don't we start with you and then we can sandwich my story in between the two because it's probably far less interesting. Okay. So it's fantasy star as a whole. My first experience with it was, was really fantasy star four. Um, not, not, I'm not talking about the game yet, but I'm, I'm going to get there. So fantasy star four is played it in the mid nineties for the Genesis. My, my friend was really into it. I never really played it all the way through, but it was a decent enough game on its own. It's a fantastic game. Um, actually. But I never knew anything about Fantasy Star. I only kind of knew the Master System exists, if you go back and listen to our Master System episode from from a while back. Mm -hmm. uh, but, like, Fantasy Star, the first one was was nothing really talked about. I mean, who knew what Fantasy Star 1 was? It was in the fourth one, and I didn't really care. I was having a good time with what it was. So I would say the first time I actually played it, or, or really had an opportunity to do so, uh, was probably when I got Sonic's ultimate genesis collection for the xbox 360 i may have gotten the name of that game wrong but there was the compilation that was released for the 360 and the playstation 3 sometime back in like 2000 uh 2006 2007 time frame or maybe a little afterwards because that game was an unlockable if you just played like fantasy star 2 or fantasy star 4 or something like that you had to yeah i was about to say i thought it was i thought it was unlockable on that yeah one. it was yeah. unlockable and i didn't play for the game boy advance because i wasn't really tracking at the time and I was like, oh, oh, here's Fantasy Star. So, of course, I played it for a little bit there and it was cool. But like most RPGs on these compilation discs, I just went away from it. I'm much more interested for some reason when I play any of these compilation games, um, playing the much shorter games and moving on for that. Because I'm just for RPGs, for some weird reason, I'm much more attracted to playing them on original hardware or just in a solid state just as their own original thing. So I moved on from mm -hmm. that. And I kind of shelved it. I tried playing it again on the PC not too long ago. Um, but then Shane started playing it as uh, his experience because he saw it for sale on a Nintendo Switch sale. And I was like, you know what? 
Well, shit, that's my whole story. Yeah. Uh, I ruined it. <laughs> I was like, you know what? It's time to finish it. So that's when I finally, uh, um, and it, we'll get into why that's probably the best way to do it if you haven't played so far. But that's when I finally decided, you know what? I'm going to wrap this up. I'm going to finish it. And I'm going to enjoy it for the experience that it is. So on to you, Shane. How did you first experience it? Wow. I don't know. Like <laughs> it might have been on the switch. Um <laughs> Yeah, no, so as Chris uh, alluded to, I I had no visibility into the Fantasy Star steer- series at all, um, not even for nothing. I had heard of PSO because uh, there was actually uh, a guy that I knew in college who um, basically defined his personality with weed and Fantasy Star Online, so mm. he's got that going for him. Um, but that's the only thing I had even heard about. And so I just assumed that was some MMO or whatever. And it was this weird thing on like PlayStation. So I didn't even know this was a series, frankly. And then, um, I just kind of, I don't know if it was because perhaps like you and Paul had mentioned it, uh, on our last episode that we did together or in just our chats somewhere, but, uh, it was stuck in my head for some reason. And I saw, that um, just fortuitously, it happened to be on sale on the eShop uh, on my Switch. And it was, of course, the the Sega Ages version, which we'll get into what that means in a little bit. But um, so I was like, you know what? I'll drop a couple bucks on this. This this seems like a cool thing. I've heard good things. And without going into the details right now, I just it man, it grabbed me in a way that I did not expect at all because I've gone back to some of these older RPGs uh, because, you know, I have that sort of like compulsion to be like, I feel like this is something I should know. This is something I should experience. And I don't, and I don't have that experience. And most of the time I bounce off them pretty hard or I'll play them for a little bit and then just kind of let them go because they just don't hold my interest. But this was like completely different. And, and I'll talk about why that is a little later. But uh, that's that's basically my introduction to it. So what about you, Paul? I know that yours is vastly different from both of ours. Yeah, yeah, extremely different. I, I played it. I wouldn't say that I played it on launch, um, A, because it would have been a Christmas gift. Thus, it would have released after, you know, I would have got it after the release, if that's the case. Mm-hmm. But also because I just can't quite remember what year it was, whether it was 88 or 89. And I guess that's not really important. Um it's funny you mentioned the high price because when I was a kid and I saw Fantasy Star for sale, it was for a hundred Canadian, which was unheard of mm-hmm. <laughs> for a video game. Yeah, and I was like, "Well, I really want it," you know, because I saw the commercials for it and looking at the back of the box, like the graphics were, you know, amazing. Right, as you guys are well aware, relative to what else was available at the time. Sure. But I saw the hundred bucks and I was like, "No way." Not going to happen. And for everyone listening now, a hundred Canadian there was much more than a Coke today. So yes, a hundred Canadian was was somewhat similar to what American dollars were at that time. Exactly, we could afford several sticks of bubble gum, <laughs> not just one. Ah, uh, the good old days. It was <laughs> it was pretty lucky though, because like, so my dad, one of one of our good friends, it was an auto mechanic, and uh, my dad and I would go hang out at his shop on Saturday mornings, just kind of like, you know being men and me like pretending to be a man and (laughs) and so and he did some work on my dad's car and they couldn't come to an agreement on payment my dad was like no you did the work i insist 
And my dad's friend was like, no, we're friends. I'm not going to charge you for this. And so the agreement they came to was that he would get me something for Christmas. And it just so happened that the cost of the labor was equal to Fantasy Star. So that ended up being a very, I mean, it wasn't like I got three game systems for Christmas. That's just bonkers. Yeah, yeah who would do that? That's nuts. I know, that's, right? That's, that's... We're not Rockefellers no. here. <laughs> mm. But I did get probably the most special game of my childhood. Like it immediately kind of grabbed me. I had no idea what was going on. It's almost like Saga in that way. Like I literally remember as a child walking around, moving Alice's character around and being like, how do I punch? And I just like, what, what button does this? And I hit, I hit a button and this like menu pops up. I'm like, what the hell is going on? Why can't here? I jump over these but fucking once, mountains? <laughs> they're the worst. <laughs> so, but really like it just, it just grabbed me like nothing else. I'd never played another RPG like it. I knew that RPGs existed. I had older cousins who had Ultima games, which by the way, I don't know if you guys have ever seen the box for Ultima 3. It's got a big like demon on the front of it and you know, you open it up, it has a cloth map. It has all these instruction books really thick with all this lore and stuff like that. I desperately wanted to play Ultima 3 at my cousin's place. And he was like, no, this game sucks. I'm like, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> but what about that pre-dusted tome that comes out of the box with it? <laughs> exactly. Sounds like some working design But shit. thankfully, uh, <laughs> it really, you know what? Dude, PC games back then, man, they pulled out all the stops. Yeah. Oh, yeah. For sure. But we digress. But yeah, Fantasy Star filled that uh Fantasy Star filled that need for me eventually. And uh yeah, it was it was awesome, man. Still my favorite game to this day. Yeah, that's that's I mean, there's there's good reason for that. Um so let's kind of go into what Shane was talking about with that being said, like your favorite game to this day, because that's completely understandable. And I'll just kind of kick it off by saying in terms of 8-bit RPGs. And it's really hard to go back to a lot of these 8-bit RPGs like uh, Dragon, Dragon Warrior, Dragon Quest, you know, um, Final Fantasy. One, because they're just I think they're they're mostly broken in terms of their design. It's it's very uh, basic, very simple, but um, it's not the it's not the most balanced. And what you get from mm-hmm. Fantasy Stars, it really breaks the mold of what you would expect from a game of that era. And I would say it's probably there's there's only one other ape at RPG I could really put it in contention with. It's just probably Dragon Quest three and maybe some people say Dragon Quest four. But other than that, there's not much else that I, I can really say that that passes muster when compared to, to Fantasy Star. And you're, you're talking about a huge different in, in budget and um, cultural acceptance between not only just the system, but the series itself when you talk between Fantasy Star and, and Dragon Quest. So just for the fact that it can maintain that quality is is impressive within itself. Oh, yeah, definitely. And I mean, so one of the things that Chris noted here in, in our write-up for the, the show uh, was that, you know, impressively, the team that was behind this game, I mean, first of all, evidently, they had real no real official director, per se, and then in addition to that, it was about 10 people at most. So, I mean, when you think about it that way, them being able to pull off something like this so so well is is impressive. I was waiting for Paul to come in. <laughs> I thought he was going to say something because this is jam. I was looking at that stupid ultimate picture. Yeah, it looks like the cover for Fantasy Star. <laughs> uh, it, it's... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I just... Except that the dude is like, the dude is Alice. And... Yeah. 
the girl is Odin? This is ridiculous. It is. <laughs> so for those of you that are currently listening to this audio-only format, I feel like I should point out that Chris uh, linked the the art for Ultima in our in our chat, and it is suspiciously similar to uh, to Fantasy Star. Oh, that's the the Famicom version of Ultima specifically. Yes, because it's, yes. that's amazing. It's very anime. It is. It is multiple levels of hilarious. Really is, and it, it resembles the the Anyhow. Western cover. Any case, yes. Yeah, sorry to break your show. It's all good. We, we break it all the time. <laughs> um, but yeah, so so for me, kind of what I mentioned about it sort of grabbing me and in a very unexpected um, fashion is just, like I said, I bounce off of most of these because they're kind of dense. They're hard to get into unless you're like prepared to sit down with, you know, one of the aforementioned dusty tomes of of instruction and figure out what the hell is going on. But I actually think the thing that got me was the the first person 3d dungeons i did not know um that that was a big part of this game i had no idea going into it and so when i saw you know when you load up the game and you and you start off and you see the overworld and you see alice and you're like okay yeah it's pretty pretty typical rpg 2d kind of fare great okay and then you get into it's not even really the first dungeon anyway there's just like a, a small subterranean like hallway section in the first town that you're in that you can go into and as soon as you enter that all of a sudden you hit this first person like wizardry ass looking screen and i'm just like oh this is what this is and like i know for some people that's probably a moment where they'd be like well fuck this and go and play something else. <laughs> but for me, it was the exact opposite. I was like, oh, this is my shit. And like, at, from that point, like you could, you could ask Chris or, or, or my fiance, especially because like she ended up watching me play it on my switch on the TV. I like did not put this down once I started playing it and I got through it pretty quickly. Yeah. It's a pretty, it's a pretty painless game in that regard. If you're looking for a retro RPG to play now, like, look, obviously I'm biased. I, I can't really be objective about this game. I'm not even going to pretend. But with that said, if you're looking for an 8-bit RPG to play and you're not looking to invest a ton of time and you're looking for something fairly seamless, that still actually kind of looks impressive. Like those 3D dungeons. Yeah, dude. I mean, the fact that you saw it now and it still had that kind of impact is very telling. Oh yeah, absolutely. So, yeah. so and and again like there that's again it's talking about like lack of objectivity, right? Like that's that's also very much colored by my experience, you know, in the past with those sort of, you know, CRPGs from from back in the day. Like when Legend of Grimrock released, I was like unnecessarily excited about that. So, oh, I melted into a puddle <laughs> when I heard about that game. Right. So, so that's where I'm coming from on that. Now, when you're talking about the 3D dungeons, I do think we have to put a disclaimer on this 3D dungeon aesthetic and uh, design choice. So, when we go back to 1987, there was a lot more time that generally people who play video games put into video games. They would invest a lot more time, and you had to because generally these games that you would get, you would have to invest time into because usually you'd only get a game. So, the good thing about Sega Ages. The, the collection we got on the Switch, now playing it currently, is that you had that map, that that auto-generated map that you could look oh at that God, would show yes. you where the traps were, it would show you where the treasure chests were, um, all that stuff. Now, Paul didn't have this. where, like, the hidden walls were, too. It would. 
Yeah. Which is important on to complete the game fully. Yeah. No, so, Paul, you did not have an automated map on the side of the screen back in 1988, 1989. It just, it wasn't available yet. Um, the processing power of the Sega Master System and a second screen wasn't quite available to to uh, be viewable at the time. How did you get through it? What I had was a child's infinite time and patience. <laughs> and, <laughs> and it was just hitting my head against the wall over and over, right? Like, I, I didn't I didn't even map it on graph paper. I tried to map it on graph paper and I was like Wow and I was like, nah, this isn't gonna this isn't gonna work for me. I'm just gonna keep I'm just gonna raw dog it. I'm just gonna <laughs> go and until I finish it. And that's what happened. And you know, there were some there were some frustrating levels like by Amale, the uh the final tower before you go up into the sky castle. Oh like my that is God, dude. that thing is a beast, man. Dude, that's a and beast even with the auto map. <laughs> I know, I know. You you wouldn't believe how many times because there's one there's one section in there where you have to fall into a pit trap to advance. Mm -hmm. But up until that point in the game, pit traps were a bad thing. You fall into one of them, it's like ah crap, I got to do all this over again. I must have fallen into that pit trap like twenty times before I finally cracked the code and realized, oh yeah, this is. And there's a hidden door as well that you have to find. It's crazy. And, and the worst thing about those pit traps, too, is when you fall down and you're not using graph paper, even if you are using graph paper and you don't have the, that auto map, you have no fucking clue where you fell down to. No, oh, yeah. none, none. You just have to kind of remember what everything looks like, which, I mean, I don't know. I, I played the Seg Ages one not too long ago, maybe six months ago or something like that. And uh, I did it without the auto map just because that's how I did it when I was a kid. <laughs> And uh, it's a little bit it's flexing a, on us right now <laughs> with this. I'm really trying not to. I'm just being honest. <laughs> I'm, I'm an old school gamer. I'm, I'm hardcore casuals, filthy casuals. <laughs> yeah, they put a, they put a lot of quality life improvements into it. But, um, you know, I, I turn those off. It's typical Canadian bragging, honestly, is what it is. <laughs> it's very polite. <laughs> the humblest of brags. But it is it is possible without the auto map. It's just more difficult. And uh, thankfully, the auto map is in there, though, because honestly, if I had if sorry, if I had not played this game before and I was jumping into it and it didn't have an auto map, charming as the game is, I don't know that I would have the patience to get through some of the more difficult levels without the auto map. So the fact that you guys had access to that on uh, on the Sega Ages release, really just probably the best addition they could have made to that game. So, yeah, yeah, I for sure. I do have to ask a question about getting through this at the very late stages of the game. It's something I found because I played it on normal. Shane played it on um, casual. Ba yeah, Babby's first RPG. Yes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but what I noticed is towards the end of the game, even if when you get into random encounters, the the plateau for levels seems to it, I don't know if there's a cap or not, but the game seems to kind of put in an artificial cap by just scaling the experience points to unfathomable heights at about 28 20 uh level 28 level 29 so did you did you go beyond that and trying to beat the game at the time because i couldn't see myself going much beyond that you definitely don't know, need to go beyond that to beat the game but if you're lost you're just going to keep fighting and fighting and fighting with not much you know return on your investment and there's a lot and enemies don't stop doing damage Unless you don't have courage and you run from everything, which is what I did when I was a kid. Yeah, I never I never really realized that there was a soft cap until I replayed it again recently on the Sega Ages 
release because I was like, you know what, I'm gonna, I'm just gonna see what happens. I'm gonna see how far I can take this. And yeah, I ran into that ceiling pretty fast. So it's not something I ever saw when I was a kid. But yeah, there is, for all intents and purposes, there is a level cap. It's just soft. Mm. It's like it goes from ten thousand to one hundred and fifty thousand, and you get one hit point when you level up. <laughs> it's like, thanks, guys. <laughs> Yeah, so so we've been talking a lot now about the the Sega Ages version. So I feel like you know we should probably continue to sort of qualify that. So in addition to the auto map, um, there were a couple of extra things that were included as you know quality of life improvements to the game. Um, like it has a built-in item and equipment list that you can access by just going to a pause menu. So it gives you a full breakdown of every piece of equipment that's available in the game and like what it does and how much it costs, which is supremely helpful. And, uh, there's also the option to have the increased, uh, currency and XP gain as well as the ability to increase your overall walking speed. And, and it also does decrease the number of random encounters. So I will go ahead and say that, you know, kind of dovetailing off what Paul mentioned, I am almost 100% certain I would not have enjoyed my time with this game anywhere near as much as I did if I had, if I had, as he put it, raw dogged this thing and just went in <laughs> on like the OG version of this game. Um, I, I think I'd have a very different opinion of it in, in, you know, the year 2020. That's what makes it so accessible to people now, honestly, reducing the random encounters. Cause there are sometimes I, again, when I replayed it on the Sega Aegis thing, the only thing I did was increase the walk speed because that's, that's an absolute must mm -hmm. regardless yeah. of how, however else you want to experience the game, increasing the walk speed is an absolute must, but everything else I left on kind of original settings. And I kid you not, man, there are times where I would fight one enemy, take one step forward, and then bam, another one pops up. And I'm like, seriously? You guys are killing me. As a kid, you don't notice these things. But now, eh. Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. And and I mean, there's there's a bunch of other like little minor things, too, that aren't quite as game-changing as that, but are also just kind of nice-to-haves. I mean, the, the Sega Ages port of this does sort of take advantage of the fact that we all have widescreens now. And in addition to the game window itself, you know, you also get like little party uh, portraits with their, you know, vital statistics off on like the right hand side with your little auto auto map down in the bottom corner and everything. So it gives you a lot more upfront information, which I think is also some nice touches. And so the interesting thing kind of behind the scenes about the Sega Ages version of this as well that I uh, n found out when we were doing kind of some of the research for this episode too, is that um, we really need to give uh, Yuji Naka credit where credit is due. His his programming ability is is was and is impressive in that um, there were some talks with the team, which I believe was M2, if I'm not mistaken, um, that was responsible for the switch port of this game. And yeah, that was M2. Up, it was M2. Yeah, and they just straight up admitted that they had they could not figure out some of the compression algorithms that Naka had written in order to get this game to work the way that it did on the original like Mark III hardware. I think that's something to be to be noted. I agree. The guy, look, the guy's a legend. You know, back then he was doing stuff that nobody had ever done before. Guy's talented, man. There's just no no getting around it. Yeah, and Yuji, and Yuji Naka, I think we talked about this in the Sonic episode if we didn't. I apologize. But, like, he also 
made the game feel faster than it was. Like he was always doing programming tricks to make the game feel special. And that's kind of where you get fantasy star. The only the only limitation I have for Yuji Naka really is he will always be known for fan um, Sonic the Hedgehog, which it, it, good yeah, game in and of its it, no, in and of itself. It's a great game. It, it was very commercially successful. <laughs> Laugh all you want to. I know you fucking hate Sonic, Shane. I know you despise Sonic. He's he's amazing. Yeah. Hey, you know what also happened right around the same uh, time that you were first getting into your Fantasy Star as part of that little software collection you got? You, uh-huh. know, you know what happened in 2006 also, Chris? Uh-huh. Sonic 06 happened. That wasn't Yuji Naka. No, he it was, was gone. It was a war crime, not, Chris. No, no, don't, don't blame. Don't blame <laughs> Yuji Naka for that. It's not a Naka on him. That was terrible. Um, Ooh. Um, but that's, that's the thing about Yuji Naka. Like, Fantasy Star, in all respects, is probably... I'm not going to say probably is more impressive than Sonic the Hedgehog. I find it much more impressive than Sonic the Hedgehog. I understand why Sonic the Hedgehog is is far more successful and far more appreciated. And Fantasy Star 2 kind of sucks. But I can Hello under Kitty Cruisers <laughs> is more impressive than Sonic the Hedgehog, Chris. Shut up, Shane. Just go away. <laughs> Sonic the Hedgehog is revolutionary. I don't care. It is. Uh-huh. It is. It is the uh, never mind to Michael Jackson. Because Michael Jackson's Mario. There you go. <laughs> All right. You're two for two on like weird references today. So. Oh, my God. How do you not understand that reference? Well, probably not our you. listeners don't. Uh, OK. <laughs> but I mean, OK. So speaking of, of soundtracks and things like that, I think I know the answer, but I'm going to ask anyway. Um, do do we have a preference as far as original master system sound for this or or the FM version? Now, of course, we didn't have that originally, but um, comparatively, what what are our thoughts? FM's way better. Even I'll say the FM's better. Like you know the the non FM hits the hits the nostalgia nerves for me. Mm. When I replayed it recently, I tried the FM and I was like, this is the way to go. Yeah. So I I ended up. I just went straight to the FM version when I played my Sega Ages playthrough. So that's that's the that's the one that I stuck with. And and in either case, I mean, the, you could I probably say that just objectively the FM soundtrack is better. But in in either version, man, the soundtrack this this is a good ass soundtrack. Like for the amount of time that you spend in those dungeons, hearing that same song over and over again. Mm-hmm. I, I never actually really got sick of it. Like they are, they are some bumping jams. I gotta say, my, yeah. My, my favorite yeah. two are Motavia when you first get there, and that's mm-hmm. just I think that's wonderfully composed. I love I love Motavia's Overworld soundtrack, and um, I also love uh, the later dungeon. Not not so not so yes. much the initial dungeon, but those later dungeons and the final dungeon that really gets the the blood pumping. It gets the hype up, and yep, it was. Uh, it's amazing. And again, that's yeah. why Fantasy Star 2 sucks because it is so like a lot of people like Fantasy Star 2 soundtrack. I'm sorry. Fantasy Star soundtrack is more coherent and better. Just my opinion and a fact. I don't I don't disagree with that necessarily. And that track you're talking about, I think it's called Tower. It's you're right. Like when you're going when you're going through those dungeons with that music playing in the background, it just it gets you pumped. It's good to go. The the uh the battle music too. Just even the regular battle music, it's very sudden and very hard so like when the enemy pops up there's no kind of preamble the enemy just like bam appears in front of you and simultaneously bam the battle music starts it's a really cool really cool introduction there's no wasting time it's just here's the music it's 
at you. I will say though that the only the only track in this entire game that comes to mind that I did not like uh, is Lassic's Battle. That song, ugh. <laughs> like I, I <laughs> no, okay. It's everything else in this game, I was just like, hell yeah! Especially those later dungeons, as Chris mentioned. That's actually my favorite track out of all of them. And, also, and the closing know, credits the track. Yeah, well, and you know, by the way, that you're in uh, a dungeon that contains either like a story relevant boss or a story relevant like item you need to find because that track will play as opposed to the other like normal dungeon track which is cool so it's like this cool auditory cue of like you're you're on the right track which i think is awesome but man when I, i i was expecting like that's the thing right is like they were building me up to this like the whole game it's just like, man, one banger after one banger. All right. Awesome. We're, we're at Lassic. Like I'm at this skull ass looking door. Let's do this. And I go in and I'm just like, ah, I also have to say the, <laughs> the, the sound sucks. The sound effects suck. They're, they're bad. I'm sorry. And if you want to defend it, Paul, go for it. No, I, I can't. I can't because the laser gun makes me want to stick a knitting needle into my ears. <laughs> it's it's not a good sound effect. The rest I can kind of, you know, you can you can take it or leave it. But boy, oh boy, that laser gun sound effect is a rough it's ride. It's not just the laser gun, though. Like, okay, I, this is where I'm going to have to go off on the sound. And like I said, yeah, OST, I, I'm just going to go off on the sound. When you're fighting those stupid ass bugs at the beginning of the game, the one with the wings, <laughs> that's where I first get it. And they <laughs> yeah. attack you. And it's like, Brrr. I'm like, what? <laughs> so I played this on the, um, I played this for a stream about a year ago. And I remember apologizing to people who were watching on YouTube. I'm like, I don't think the sound's this bad. It must be my emulator. And I booted up this time. I'm like, oh no, this sound is this bad. Like the battle sounds, the attack sounds. When especially when the enemies attack you and damage you, I'm like, oh, wow, no, this is bad. There's just a prolonged kind of hum. It's just not good. I, I, that's Yeah. Well, just don't get hit. <laughs> yeah, man. I know. Just try yeah, harder. Just get just, good. Just kill them before they get you. Yeah. yeah. Got to figure that out. <laughs> yeah, don't uh, hear it. Traumatic. <laughs> hey there, listeners. So as the title of this episode might imply, this is part one of two of our discussion of the original fantasy star for the Sega Master System slash Mark III with Paul of the Region Free Gamers podcast. So stay tuned for part two coming out in two weeks time and we will see you there. Shane here with a quick message. You know, the one rule Chris and I have always gone by regarding advertisements is this. It has to be something we use and can personally vouch for. If you know me, you know I love coffee. And Bones Coffee Company has been my go-to for home brewing for quite some time now. Their small batch beans come in an impressive variety of flavors like Mint Invaders from Chocolate Space or Electric Unicorn, which I swear tastes exactly like Fruity Pebbles. And the best part? No added sugar or calories involved, just natural flavors infused right into the beans themselves. Build your own sample pack of five four-ounce bags to find out which flavors speak to you, or jump in headfirst with full 12-ounce bags. They've even got K-Cups. Step up your homebrew game with Bones Coffee by visiting bit.ly slash rhpbones. 
That's bit.ly slash rhpbones.